0: it's four o'clock on a monday and you know what that means there i am (laughs) i'm scared to death because we're doing a remote taxi tv live from westlake studio in hollywood yeah baby this week's starring special guest star mr doug fenske from create music academy oh man are my levels hot holy crap Mm -hmm. and thank you band thank you fake audience let me get my chat room open where are you guys there you are all right okay um i'm scared to death because you guys know how i love hi doug hi mike (laughs) (laughs) there i am uh it's so weird there i am um you know how i love doing remotes because anything that can go wrong will go wrong So uh, the guys here at Westlake uh, Studios have spent the last hour trying to get audio from this gorgeous console into Ustream so that you guys could hear actual audio versus it coming through the microphone in the webcam. They gave it a valiant effort. They were sweating bullets. The whole thing was very dramatic, and they did get audio to go in there in real time. Problem was, it sounded like a sphinctophone in Donald Duck. <laughs> uh, it, it was pitched up. It had a latency issue. So the bottom line is, what we're going to do today is we're gonna you're going to hear the audio, which is odd because it's a mixing show. Got to give Doug credit. He tried really, <laughs> really, really hard.
1: We did get um, it, in all fairness, but it, yeah. was, it was a UStream complication.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They know what they're doing. UStream. Mm. Uh, well, anyway. Um, so you're going to hear it during this live broadcast through the webcam microphone. But we, will, we are recording real audio, and we will take that and sync it up with the video and make that the version that hits YouTube tomorrow. So without any further ado, I am going to introduce my friend Doug Fenske, who I think is a genius instructor. He's been at the Road Rally a couple times. I've done a couple of shows here with him. Um, and he is going to give you pro mixing tips in a pro room. Um, and when the show's over, they told me I get a free T-shirt and a console to take so, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm very excited. Finally, I'll be reunited with my SSL. Um, yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, very excited to be here. So, Doug, take it away. I'm going to go over here and play with the computer.
1: Okay. Um, well, I suppose... Oh, hello, guys, again. It's, it's great to see everyone. Uh, So, what we have set up here today is I just have a multi-track broken out on the console. And I have some gear patched in and we'll talk about that in a bit. But I think the bigger conversation to have right off the bat is, okay, they're in there mixing in an SSL, there's no chance that I could ever want or afford or whatever it is in SSL. So, the objective of this is to be able to show everyone the approach to mixing. Because regardless of what genre that you're mixing, or if you're mixing in the box, or if you're mixing with a summing mixer, or you're mixing on an analog desk or desk or etc. The approach is always going to be the same. Now, how you go about using things may vary, right? But but since the approach is most important, we're going to apply that here today. Um, so we're like I said, regardless of genre that you're working on, um, when you begin a mix. Matter of fact, can I pull the, can I pull the chat room? Michael? Uh, yes. Let me um, pull the chat room. I'm so. having
0: some technical difficulties uh, where the picture, of course, this only happens when I have a guest <laughs> or do a remote.
1: It looks um, pretty smooth over there. So yeah, uh, I'd okay. like to pull the chat room while I'm speaking and to see um, where people begin their mixes right? because that's that's a very important thing to understand um, is where, where, where kind of point one is. So if you guys jump on and tell me real quick where you guys are beginning your mixes. Um, then maybe we can uh, get a few things straightened out. Um, so what I have patched in is I have the I have the stereo bus of the console, meaning the sum of all the faders down to left and right. I have that patched into the console, excuse me, back into Pro Tools. And then I'm listening back through a pair of speakers, right? So we're actually hearing the return from Pro Tools. Um, if anybody has a more advanced understanding of audio engineering, I can tell you that we're listening to an external monitor so there's no feedback. Um, Now, the stereo bus of the console is patched through a software limiter that I have going in Pro Tools already. Um, So the stereo bus is going into the L2, uh, which is what I like to use. I even have a specific um, threshold that I like to use at minus 4.3. I just find it gives me a good balance of dynamics and loudness. Um, So how are we doing on the poll? Uh, I just
0: know something, Cronin, referencing other mixes. Fader's at normal. David Edelstein uses. starts with drums. Another guy starts with uh, drums and bass. Drums. Uh, then somebody sets the vocal level. Definitely drums. Uh, mix my groups individually first. Drums.
1: First uh, chords. Yeah. Cool. Template, so, blah, blah, blah. thank you. Those are good. Those are really good responses. However, it's not a broad enough approach. Like, obviously, you if you got a mixing gig to mix like. When I Was Your Man by Bruno Mars, right? Well then, that kind of instrumentation wouldn't apply, right? So we have to kind of take a step back. You guys zoomed in a little bit too close. We have to take a step back. and what we have to do is we have to learn to mix from a musical perspective, all right? The way that we mix from a musical perspective is understanding the fundamental instrumentation of vocals that are in the song and beginning with that. So regardless of what those fundamentally important pieces of instrumentation are, it could be a piano and a vocal, right? It could be a kick, a snare, and a vocal and a bass, right? Um, oftentimes it takes the form in modern records of a kick, a snare, uh, whatever's carrying the chords of the song, a bass, and the vocal, right? And those five elements. Those five elements are the foundation of the mix. Now those five elements are going to vary from song to song and genre to genre. And that's what you want, right? And that's fine. But the approach doesn't vary. You always start with whatever is fundamentally important to the record. So after, after you take a listen to the song, you have to be listening for what's fundamentally important. Then you could consider that as like the foundation for a house, right? So when um, the construction company sets out to build a house, you know, they're gonna to need to set the foundation before they build the house on top of it, right? You can consider that fundamental instrumentation of the mix just like the foundation of a house. And Michael, What happens to a house when it has a cracked foundation? The house falls down. The house falls down. Well, guess what else falls down? The mix. The mix. (laughs) The mix falls down just like a house would if the foundation is cracked. So spending as much time as, as necessary, and kind of as possible, with respect to the deadline, on the fundamental instrumentation, on the foundation of the mix, whatever that may be, which is going to be different from record to record and genre to genre, is what's most important. Because then the other elements of the mix end up being constructed kind of like a house. You have the frame of the house, right? That sits on top of the foundation. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the roof that sits on top of that, right? So you want to I, li- take a listen to the song and and identify those elements and then begin with those elements and where they're all kind of playing together. And that's most likely going to be in a hook. Right, if it's an EDM record, it might be the drop. Right, um, but that's most likely the hook. So taking a step back and listening to what's fundamentally important from a musical perspective and beginning there is really kind of how we should um, how we should be beginning our mixes. Um, quite. Um, so, oh, well, I should probably go on go over some more things that I have patched in. So um, I do have some some outboard effects patched in. Um, many of you guys will probably recognize them from your plug-in sets and etc. Uh, can they see the rack? I see a little bit of a um, So over here, um, I, I have various things patched out, and I'll call it out. I'll Want call it a pan? Um, if you can, yeah, you can pan a little. <laughs> maybe keep it low. Do you do, considering I can't even see what I'm doing? Pan it down, maybe? Wave hi, Alex. <laughs> there we go. So maybe up a touch. Huh? Up, up. up a touch. There you go. So over here, what we'll be we using today let's for, for dynamics and, and, and such, we have a 33609, a new 33609, a couple of distressors. Uh, I do have this Blackface 1176 patched in, as well as a couple of 165 as uh, We are using this TubeTech, um compressor, the LCA2B. I do have a, uh, a Summit compressor, DCL200. Uh, over here, we got a couple of tech EQs that are kind of modeled after pull so We got a GML that we're gonna use, a Manly EQ that we're going to use um and this uh this somebody QP as well. Uh as for dynamic stuff, we can go back to that shot. Okay. Excuse um, me, as for time based stuff. I can't stuff, really
0: I see. Say. So how's the top uh, of your head looking?
1: There we go. Okay. Um, as for time based stuff, so I have a Lexicon 480 patched in. Um I have a an actual plate here at Westlake. The actual plate that Tell them what a plate is. But oh, really? a plate. So a plate reverb is something that's been used for a long time. Um there's a large metal plate that lives in something that looks kind of like a coffin. It's, it's about six feet long, um, and it, it's suspended inside of this wooden coffin. And signal is sent from the control room, signal being the generalized term for anything, right? Signal could be a voice or a snare or a kick or a guitar or a synth or whatever. It's all sent up to the plate, and then the results now come back down to the control room, and then we can control the decay level, right, back and forth. And as a matter of fact, you may be able to hear it if I adjust it right here. Let's see. You guys will probably be able to hear it on the broadcast audio. But I'm adjusting the, the, the reverb time on the plate. Um, and then it comes back down here into the control room where we can hear it. So that's uh, that's another time-based effect patched in. I also have the Burkasti M7 going. Uh, so we'll, be, we'll have a nice selection of reverbs between the Burkasti M7. I've never even heard of that. The Bricasti M7, a, it's, a, it's a modern reverb. It's very, very popular and kind of widely used and widely that's, sought after. It's the the, the, the that f- Yeah, that's the remote right there for it. That's the Bricasty, remote unit. Bricasty, it's there's a, a brain that lives back right, behind, huh? but that's the remote for it. That's Bricasti, B-R-I-C-A-S-T-I. Correct. Italian, I'm guessing. I think so. I don't know where they're from. It's like the it's Ferrari of <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, it's almost like the modern-day kind of classic, whereas the 480s kind of the vintage classic, you know? Okay. Um, we also have an a Aventide H3000 patched in. Of course, we have Micro Pitch Shift dialed up, which is pretty much the most famous chorus of all time. Of course. Every time you put it on guitar and turn it up, it sounds like Nir- Nevermind by Nirvana. Right? <laughs> um, we have an AMS RMX patched in, and then we have a Lexicon PCM42 delay unit. Um, so that's the, the time-based stuff that we have patched in. We kind of went over the dynamic stuff. Um, and again, that's that approach is no different than if I were to sit down and do a mix in the box, and I would kind of line up my time-based stuff. For example, if I pull up a session and I'm going to mix it, um, you know, I may make a, uh, make a, an aux return with the Slate Verb Suite Classics, and then I would make another aux return with Little Micro Shift from Soundtoids, which emulates the H3000, and I may make another one with a delay, and I would stack them up kind of at the bottom at the end of the session in the same way that I've already prepared these. Okay. Right? So that's before you do anything. Yeah, before you do anything, okay. right? Now because th- and those aren't set in stone. As you begin mixing, you maybe have to adjust to which effects you're using or even change the plugin, or whatever, that's fine, just like we would change it here at the patch bay. So you
0: don't know what you'll ultimately use, nope. but you know the range of stuff you could very well use Absolutely. so you have it ready to go so you're not spending 20 minutes right. dialing it in.
1: And so I don't have to get up and, in this case, get up and going to the patch bay. In your case, going back and messing with it and changing it, and whatever, you know. that I mean, you want to be able to streamline your thought process and pay attention to what's going on. Um, And it's no different for your EQs and your compressors as well that I'm sure you guys use all the time. Just kind of having them ready and kind of having them set up so when it's time to go, it's time to go. Much Kind of like building a template, I guess, in the box. Um, So all that being said, uh, if there's there's any brief questions about setup, we should touch on them, and then we'll kind of begin listening to see where we're going to begin.
0: There's a little delay, so it'll take a minute. Mojo Bone says he pretty much has a mix bus compressor and a couple of reverbs in a given template. Uh, Annie Yarbrough says she has a water bottle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's what we'll do. Um, we'll take a listen to a demo of a song. It's a demo mix of a song. Um, it's an organic pop song. And What we want to do is we want to identify the fundamental instrumentation. We'll listen to it all the way through. It's like three and a half minutes. Um, but also keep in mind that we want to be able to begin you know, where the stereo bus is very active. You know, where we're all those five elements, we can blend them amongst each other, but we can also collectively blend them against the stereo bus, which again is the sum of all the faders, just left and right, um, so that the dynamic range in our song is appropriate. You, know, you wouldn't necessarily begin in the intro if it's just a piano and a vocal or something like that. You, know, you want to be able to kind of go from the biggest part of the picture and then tail it off to the smaller parts. Uh, so let's just take a listen and see what we're going to be working on today. I'd be able to ask Okay, we're the fundamental elements Or whatever But I gotta give them a break Because they're listening Through a mic Right So, so what That's else? a really good sounding mic So, so What I'll say is um, You know We're gonna start In that second hook We're gonna start In that second hook um, Really when things Kind of start coming in mm-hmm. um, The drums are in And et cetera and, and what I would consider The foundation of this record Would be um, The kick and the snare Now that's a live drum kit With live mics So we're gonna need to put The overheads in there as well um, and the bass and the piano and the acoustic guitar and the voice. Those are kind of your fundamental elements right there. The rest of the stuff, like the hats and the toms and, and some of the other strings and you know the background vocals and all that, other, that stuff's going to f- fall into the frame and into the roof and it's going to sit on top of the foundation of our mix. Um, and the best place to start is always on that kick. So if I jump up here to the kick and hook to... So let's kind of loop it. Alright. A couple things I definitely want to do here. I definitely want to gate, right? As you would in the box, I could do on the console. But we'll get it first here on the SSL. That's a little. Let's kind of get the hole a little bit more. Some other dynamics, I can look at some EQ, and what I want to look at for the EQ um, is, I want to do actually a touch of subtractive EQ here in the box before I get to the desk. Um, that way I'm going kind to of, kind of be manipulating the kick. Um. For those who are newbies, tell them what subtractive EQ is. Okay, subtractive EQ is the process of removing frequencies from a sound. Um, additive EQ is the process of adding frequencies to a sound. Um, and Michael, for me personally, I use both very frequently. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are hardline only subtractive EQ and they, will, and they won't boost anything. Um, just from me and my experience and the things that I've done you know, in, in my career, um, I always have a bit of an additive EQ as well. Um, and What I can say is a lot of my subtractive EQ comes via the filters. I do use the, right. filter. the EQ filters a lot to filter off to very high or very low frequencies depending on what I'm working on. Um, and then a lot of additive EQ happens with the bells and the bands in the middle. Um, but I also do a bit of subtractive with those bells, bands in the middle as well. And well, when he's talking about bells, he's not talking about ding ding. The bells. He's talking about bell, the bell curve. curve. Bell curve in the, of an EQ, right? Um, so what, I, what I'll do here, real quick, for, this, translating kick. for you, Jack, guys, <laughs> this kick in microphone, um, is I will pull. I'm gonna pull wherever that boxy tone of the kick drum is living, because all kicks really have a boxy thing somewhere, and it takes. It sounds like you got your like a wooden spoon and you're slapping the side of a box with it, right? They all have it. Just it's a matter of finding it. Generally, it's between like two and three hundred hertz. Yep. Um, so what I'll do is I'll just play the kick, and I'll just kind of do a cut in the EQ, and I'll move it back and forth here, subtracting that boxy stuff out before it even gets to the desk. So let's see what we got. At 250, I went from 250 to 200 to 300. I'm gonna do the cut at 250. And I might get a little bit, it's a little bit clicky for me, So I'm gonna go, go do that now. So I've, I've gated and I've done that bit of subtractive EQ and I have some um, some inserts going for our kick right now. And on the kick I have um, I have the tech EQ that I mentioned that's kind of in the style of a Poltec EQ and I have the, what did I put it on there, um, a distressor and I have a distressor happening after that. So I'll engage the insert and I'll kind of add some EQ uh, then I'll add some compression uh, for our next step for our kick drum a lot know. of
0: work for a kick drum <laughs> well of course but it's it's the foundation of it's everything. part of the
1: foundation michael if i if if i come into the company hires me comes in makes this record for me you know of a tel, of a 12 hour session i'll spend four to five hours just on the foundation right because once it's set it's everything else is easy right i'm not trying to undervalue whatever but like it really does become easy yeah. to fit thing across to fit a mix across the foundation of, of a mix like yeah it then really it just moves easy. yes Then we're just, well, we touch things up and we kind of drop it in. So um, as much time as it takes, man. As much time as it takes.
0: You know, the number one question I've had during my entire career.
1: I'll scoot in over here.
0: whoops, sorry. Uh, There I am. The number one question I've always had is why doesn't my stuff sound like the stuff I hear on radio? People are looking for that glossy, slick, sexy sound. It starts with the foundation. Absolutely does. And by the end of today, we'll explain where the the sexy, glossy crap comes from. Sure. Okay. All right.
1: (laughs) So, let's get that going. So what I did just right there with the with the with the tube tech EQ is um, I grabbed about 60 hertz and I gave it a little bit of a boost. I'm going to bring it down. Actually, it's a little bit too much for me. And then I took the high mid range and I kind of swe- I boosted it and I kind of swept it a little bit to kind of find where the attack lives um, for this particular kick drum. I think something that's important to understand is that you're not going to get a great result by reading a book about frequencies and mixing and then applying that blanket approach to it. Because each and every kick drum is going to be different. It's going to be a different head on the drum. It's going to be a different performance. It's going to be a different microphone. It's going to be different summing. It's going to be different everything. Different beater. D- different makes a world of difference. Everything, right? So really the best way to do it is to just grab the EQ when you're looking for it and sweep it and find where that attack is living. In this case, it was around 2.5K, two, two and a half three k k where that click of it came through. Right. right? That could be different from kick to kick. And depending on how much of the click
0: you want, because you, you know, it depends right. which octave the song is in, sure. um, what key the song is in, where the bass is at with the kick, sure. how much click you want or don't want, right.
1: so all that and stuff. And the great for. thing about that is that now after I've found it, if I don't want it, I can just turn it down. Right. I don't have to move the frequency, right? I, yeah. Do I want more of it? Do I want less? Do I want to subtract it? And sometimes
0: yeah. you want to make room for its best friend, the bass guitar. Sure. Because <laughs>
1: they're complementary.
0: Absolutely. They are.
1: So what, is, so what I'll do now is I'll dial in the compressor. Yeah. So this is the distressor we'll do after the uh, tube tech EQ. 60 hertz for two. Okay, and that crackling that we heard is actual crackling from actual gear as I was turning knobs. Um, that's fine, because <laughs> it's not going to happen during the mix as well while I was turning it. Now, should the gear technically be crackling? No. But, you know, analog gear needs maintenance, and you never know what's going to crack a little bit. I'm sure that won't be the first crackle that we hear. So it's just a, a dirty yep. pot or something? Yep, and that's okay. it. And that's okay. That's to be expected as, you, as you're mixing. Turn a pot, something cracks a little bit. You do something called exercise it, where that's where you turn it back and forth a few times. Break and out the creme, And way. then it's good. Um, so oh, then gosh. we have a bit of compression from the distressor. Just, really, it's just about control. Um, so I just did this at 4 to 1 uh, for a ratio, for those of you who understand compression. And I got about... 7dB again reduction um, with a quicker attack and release tell them what a four to one uh, Ratio means what the four is, okay, what the one so is. it's think of it uh, as a as a ratio of units of level in versus units of level out uh, So if I were sitting here with Michael and I were to hand him Four sharpies right if this were four I would hand him four sharpies He would hand me one back. It would be very much like that exchange um, and one to one. Right. So as your so for a frame of reference, a limiter is a compressor with a ratio of ten to one, or higher. Right? A compressor is is below that, obviously. Same piece of gear, different Same name gear. depending on how you set it up. Right. Although if an outboard gear, if an outboard piece of gear or plug-in is called a limiter, chances are the ratio can't get below ten to one. Right. 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 But compressors can get turned into by, <laughs> we buying, totally by in- confuse you guys now. <laughs> by, in- by increasing the ratio. Yes. Right. So that's kind of the basic rundown of it. But so still-
0: basically, if something obnoxious is happening level-wise and you want to smooth it out, a 4 to 1 ratio means for every 1 dB in, there's 4 or... Th- Am I getting this right? Uh, there's 4 dBs of squash for every 1 dB over you the line. You can think of it that way. Yeah, right? that's if, right that,
1: if, that's a, if that's a relatable way to think about it, that's certainly fine. Right? That um, is, you know the books for dummies? <laughs> there you go. So um, there's something else that we need to do the kick, though, before we move on. Yes. Um, and that's called parallel compression. Oh, they love parallel. <laughs> <anything>. <laughs> and that's where I have the, um, the Neve 33609 wired up. Again, a lot of you guys are probably uh, familiar with that in, in plug-in form. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a copy of this kick drum that I've now used some compression and some EQ on. Now, I might even throw a low-pass filter on it, too, to take care of, take off of the high frequencies, just in case there's anything hanging around up there. And I'm going to take that copy. I'm going to send it to the other compressor. I'm going to compress it kind of more aggressively than okay. I was kind of doing, just doing the control with the other compressor. And I'm going to bring it back here, and I'm going to blend them uh, to have the result. Why? B- because it gives it a more a tighter sound that sounds more even and controlled, rather than taking, let's say it's a kick, um, and let's say I put a bunch of aggressive compression on it and I turn it way up in the mix. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, that's a way to achieve um, a lot of low end in the mix, but it can sound too unbalanced by by using that method. Um, The method of having a nice solid kick for the foundation and then using a copy and compressing it a little bit harder. And then blending the two signals together kind of makes it a bit more even uh, and a bit tighter and a bit easier for you to mix the rest of the song around it. So
0: you wouldn't d- normally. Uh, I come from a very old school where you know we had limited numbers of tracks. When I started out in sure. the industry, we only had sixteen tracks, and you would literally lay down a drum kit. Uh, you know, kick on its own track, uh, snare on its own track, and then drums left and drums right, where we would like blend. overheads. Or yeah, overheads mm-hmm. and tom mics would be pre-mixed to tape so
1: well, that's we, the beauty here is we don't have to commit to pre-mix right tape.
0: so back in my day uh we would get these sounds pretty damn close to how you wanted them in the mix and send them to the tape that way yeah. nowadays you have the luxury of infinite tracks and infinite especially with stuff in the box not so, that infinite
1: and, tracks should be used right let's make sure that we get that <laughs> clear.
0: <laughs> but you can do all this stuff so you really don't have to concentrate as much on the actual recording other than getting it down as Seamly long as it's recorded, as long-,
1: as long as that's done, as long as the game staging is correct and the levels are correct and everything is correct, absolutely. And, and you know, the benefit that we also have now is because now we're summing all of this together at the same time rather than having to print those right. drums left to right and then having to glue them together with whatever else. You know, we can sum everybody together, which is, after all, the biggest advantage of analog mixing is the summing characteristics. Yeah. So, parallel compression, yeah? Here's what we'll listen to i'll play back with both of them and then i will remove the uh the local mic and we'll just hear what the parallel compression is doing i'm curious
0: for you guys to let us know if you can hear the the difference when we ab. that's it, a good question um because we're going through this crappy little microphone in my so let's give it a spin extremely good camera so can you guys give us a little feedback i'm bringing down my input level a little bit we're getting a little hot on that one um does it can you hear what's going on okay coming through the webcam mic on your end i don't care about tony bennett Yes, it translates," says Martin J. Frog. Okay,
1: good. good to know. Cool. All right. All right. Well, then let's jump on this kick out, then. All right. Now I don't have a bunch of um, gear patched in to the kick out. I'm just going to process it here on the console. I'll solo it up. And that's just the, the the microphone that's on the outside of the head of the, of, of the kick drum, as opposed to the one that's on the inside uh, next to the beater. So where's my? Kick? Around the same area that we did on the kick in? Is with the kick in uh, those two microphones side by side. Do you uh, have any knowledge as to what the mics were? Oh did I you record the, Yeah, no, I did. Uh, this is my record. Um, the kick in, I think, was an. Think this was so long ago. I think it was a D1 or D12. Okay. AKG D12, and I think the kick out was a FET47. All right. been uh, FET47. Cool. So we did a bit of gating. We did a bit of compression and EQ. Nothing crazy, right? Um, And then we're going to take a listen to it. I'm not going to send it to the parallel compressor. I actually want a little bit of that kick in um, to kind of stick out a little bit more. So then we can kind of take a listen to where it's at. All right, so what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to mute those. We'll cut them. I'd like
0: to ask an intelligent question. Of course. Um, When I'm getting a kick sound or a kick and bass sound, Again, it's been a very long time since I've done this, but I would look up at the meters. I would look at the analog meters, mm-hmm. and I would make sure... Well, I'm that, not setting levels yet. I know, but I would look at the meters, and even though I wasn't setting my levels yet, I could tell by the ballistics of the meter. I could mm. almost work deaf. tell by the ballistics <laughs> okay. of the meter. If I had a sound going, do you ever use any visual cues? Do you ever look at the phase meter? Do you ever very, look at the meters or strictly I absolutely meters?
1: do. I, I absolutely do look at the meters. It depends on which meters and where. I also look at the cone on the ns10 right that's also something else that i do so all when when it comes to time to start setting levels i will be monitoring the stereo bus and of course i'll have an eye out of my peripheral to make sure that we're not clipping any channels of course the meters on the outboard gear while i'm dialing it in right Um, but also the the driver on the ns10 when it starts reacting a certain way i think the the video Uh, when it starts reacting a certain way and we're back (laughs) <laughs> when the driver starts reacting a certain way, I'll make sure that I, right, uh, that I kind of take note of that. All right, when it kind of starts jumping. I always wondered if I was actually. the only yep. guy that used visual cues around the control room as part of the whole thing. So let's start some snare top, yeah. Yes, I'll dial it up here. We'll we'll gate it, and um, and then we have a, a nice manly EQ inserted at, on this as well. He's um, talking about the brand manly. The brand manly. <laughs> <laughs> <He's so> nice. <stubborn. laughs> Great. So, what I've done with the snare is uh, I gated it, and then we hit the manly EQ. Uh, and I gave it just a touch more EQ here back on the SSL 9000J. Um, just a bit of high and low filter, not to the point it's where I'm changing the sound, but removing, removing any kind of overtones or harmonics that may be above the sound. Um, Sharpen it just a touch more, and then give it some compression here. Um, so, what I'll do is I'll play back with the snare, um, and I'll, I'll take everything out. But I did, and we'll and we'll hit it again, and we'll listen to it with everything All right, back in. so we're again. gonna do another A B. Hopefully, you guys AB. will be able to hear it through our priceless webcam microphone. There's our a b for that
2: right
1: now there's two more steps that we got to do for the snare okay right um, one is parallel compression right because i need that kick in that snare to hang in there with all the other instrumentation that's going to come around You hear, here it's a ballad or at least half of a ballad right the <laughs> mid um, it's got the big strings the guitars whatever, and whatever we need the kick a snare to stay steady so i'm going to add um parallel compression to this and then after that we're gonna have to jump into some reverb We'll look at some of these nice, gorgeous reverb units that we have available to us here today. Okay. So, let's pre-look Press. How
0: much of this stuff do I get to take home again?
1: <laughs> I'm not just getting the t-shirt, right? Well, if Al was here, you could talk <laughs> yeah, to Al. That's right. <laughs> Questions that jump out to you, too. Make sure you fire them over. Absolutely. All right, snare sounding good. Uh, so why don't we jump? Why do try the 480? We'll try the 480 first. So the Lexicon 480L. Um, it's a digital reverb device. And in 2017, you can kind of say digital reverb. It was digital, really kind of digital well, for its time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but um, <laughs> it's been used countless, countless times. Camera. What is um,
0: every,
1: every time I look away. I'm not sure if I'll be able to get this, but it's the it's the white. I don't know if you can see this, Michael, but it's the white plug-in that you guys are probably very familiar with.
0: Right, it's the 480XL, not the, two. what's the other one, 224 was the original.
1: Yeah, no, it's not a 224, it's a 480L. It's the version that we have here, it's a 480L. And we'll see what we got there. Probably, Probably like a room. We'll give a room a spin, we'll kind of cycle through a few of them. Smaller room. So I'll play for you guys the medium room sound, just the, just the reverb without the direct s- snare signal, which sounds like this. that it's small, it's tight, it's compact, it's not going to be kind of blanketing over our entire mix. And we certainly need to fit the vocal on that as well. So while we're here, I'll pull up the snare bottom, which of course is, a, is, the, is the microphone on the bottom of the actual snares of the actual drum from which it takes its name. Right? The Do actual you want to snares. give them uh,
0: 30 seconds on phase relationships, the sure. top and bottom snare, because sure. so many people don't think about that, sure. and if they don't, it sends you down a rabbit hole in misery.
1: So Michael, every time that you have two microphones on the same source, you have to flip polarity in order to check the phase relationship. Right. right? Um, Two microphones on a source doesn't mean like I have two mics on on the entire drum kit or something like that. It's where you have like a snare top and bottom, or maybe you have a djembe and it's top and bottom, or maybe you have an acoustic guitar, one on the body, one on the fretboard. Any of those instances, what you want to do is you want to check the... You want to flip polarity on one of those microphones. That's going to be on the preamp or on your interface's companion software. It looks like this. Right. Snap button. Probably next to phantom power. If, it,
0: if your snare sounds papery and thin mm-hmm. and you're
1: using so, top and bottom, that's your first so, sign. So that's the first place that you go, right? Yeah. Is, when you, is when you flip the polarity to create a different phase relationship. Phase is just... Uh, an easy way to describe phase is like a time relationship between two sounds or waveforms, mm-hmm. right? And when that's coming from the same source, they can have an inverse relationship. And they can end up with its canceling frequencies It ends up sounding thin and drab and just kind of a bummer. And you certainly don't want that ingredient in your record. No, you don't. You'll be sitting there for hours trying to make up sure. for it, the EQ and compression and everything else. And it's not that. And it's it it's a time been, relationship. Right. It yeah. could have just been one button. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Cool. All right, so while I was there, um, I gated it. I gave it just a touch of EQ. I kind of filtered out the very bottom up to about, I don't know what I do, up to about 160 hertz. Uh, sharpened it up just a touch in the mid. I think that landed at about 4K uh, for this particular instance. And then just gave it some compression on the desk and sent it to that same reverb that we sent the, the other snare to. <clears throat> so I didn't know those frequencies going into it. I didn't say, okay, I know exactly where I'm gonna put the filter. I know exactly where I'm going to do the boost. Etc. I just kind of rocked it back and I just kind of rocked it for a second, and then I listened to how it was impacting that sound. Again, you can't take a blanket numbers approach to it. There, you can certainly use certain frequencies as a, as a guide when you start developing a deeper understanding of mixing. But at least at first, and even into, into more of the professional realm as well, um, it's more about starting with that macro view of: Do I want the snare to sound sharp or not? Right. Well, if I want it to sound sharp, then I'm going to grab my band and I'm going to sweep until it sounds sharp with the gain boosted on the EQ. Turn up the gain, sweep it, watch the level of the speakers, and sweep it and find it. Um, you know, no amount of reading will get you to knowing the exact frequency of the exact sound every single time. It's more about being open and beginning on that macro level and then working it down into the micro level after that. And um, it's ears, you know? No, absolutely you know people
0: spend so much time listening to other people like uh, uh, what's the forum uh, gear sluts and places like that everything they say has to be taken with a grain of salt because it's their personal experience working on that particular project and it may not exactly relate to what you're doing your room your your whatever there Mm. are a million variables Nothing is better than working in your own room. Sit there with a snare drum for an entire evening, sweeping frequencies, sure. and playing with compressors. You'll learn so much more.
1: Than, and, and, and the next day, a different snare drum will react differently. Right. So the exact Absolutely. same process.
0: Yep. So that makes so much more sense than believing somebody who speaks with great authority on gear
1: sluts <laughs> and only knows his room.
0: I hate that guy.
1: <laughs> no comment. <laughs>
0: He's a gear slut.
1: Now, while we're here, uh, I might as well do these overheads. Uh, because these overheads left and right also have kick and snare in them but i don't want really a lot of hype from the low end or, or, or from from the snare or whatever i really kind of look for, looking for more detail on these overheads um, because i get i'm getting a lot of those big frequencies from the local microphones so i just kind of i just kind of wanted a little bit of that color so that's what i'm going to do right now so let's check out these overheads and see how they sound So there we have some overheads. Um, uh, do you remember what you used on the overheads? Uh, Microphone-wise? They were either 67s or C12s. Nice. I can't remember exactly. Either choice would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it's certainly different tones there, you know, between yeah, the C12 and the, the 67. It was one of those two. Some it's of these like other mics Which one of Charlie's it. Angels do you like? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did a, a, you know, a bit of compression and a bit of EQ. I kind of took off the very bottom up to about... 200 hertz, and I filtered the top down to about, looks like 9k, and as you guys probably heard, and you'll hear on the detailed audio later, you know, I only brought the filter down as to where it really wasn't affecting the signal, where, where it's like, oh wow, that sounds really dark now. It's just brought out, again, to get rid of aliases and overtones and, um, and kind of really the crap that lives on top of it. And ultimately, the objective with that is to make the vocal shine, which we're going to get to here in a second. All right. Uh, So so the vocal can really occupy those frequencies.
0: In a nutshell, you're eliminating all the frequencies that you don't really need because they'll mess things up and make it swimmy sounding later. So you roll off the
1: bottom... Because you don't need top. it
0: and roll it off the top because you don't need it. Because we
1: have plenty of low end already in this kick and we still have to fit the bass in there as well, right? And the very tippy top, the, you know, those frequencies aren't living much there anywhere, nor, nor can we really hear them. Right. Um, so we want to carve that stuff out, but not do it to the point it's where we're marring the sound or sullying the sound or making it sound dull or dark or whatever. We're just removing whatever may be living up there. And these are the things that really only come with practice. Yeah, I suppose I, mean, I agree with can that. You can learn about it in a book, but you mm. can learn how to do it really well with your ears. Absolutely you can. Um, so that's what I did for those overheads. Uh, so we're going to need to jump. We'll cut those. Um, why don't we jump to the vocal? right? We'll do the vocal for a bit here um, and then we'll kind of hit the other pieces of the foundation and then we'll start getting some levels on it. How are we doing on time? We're good. We're halfway there so okay. we've got 45 minutes. Yeah, so, well we should be able to get a nice example of a foundation together and maybe kind of drop a few other elements in. Cool. If there's any questions let me know if, if, um, if anybody's asking anything in the forum. Define aliases, aliasing. Mm. Um, I guess a, a way to look at aliasing would be frequencies that, um, that we can't really hear, but are kind of doubled above um, the range of human hearing, which stops at 20 hertz. That's why we can't hear, excuse me, in 20 kilohertz. That's why we can't hear like dog whistles that are frequencies that are much higher. Um, and they're, it's a result of... of of frequencies living up there and kind of doubling upon each other, and then while they're doubling upon each other, they kind of dip down into the area that we can hear, and then can create weird relationships that are really not very desirable. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a broad uh, way to, to describe aliasing. Um, somebody wanted to know which mics you used on the snare. 57.
0: On the top and the yeah, bottom. Yeah, there. Okay. That's all you
2: need.
0: Yeah. So Throw
1: a 57 on it exists for a reason, right?
2: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can try every other mic on the planet, and people have personal preferences, but I would say 90% of all snares we hear on records are probably
1: with a I agree. 57. It's 57. If it ain't broke, don't fix no, it. No, it helps that it's going through a 1073, you know, not need 1073, but, you know, it's 57. Um, is he using Cubase? No. Pro Tools. We're using Pro Tools. But we're not really, like, whichever doll we have dialed up in here, wouldn't matter. Right. They don't have an individual sound or whatever. It's it's about how we're processing the audio that we're given. Anything else, real quick? No? Uh,
0: did he compress the drums on the way in?
1: I uh, probably did. Yeah. That would sound a lot like me. I would probably compress the kicks in, so the snares in, the overheads in. Um, probably not the hats. The rooms, I certainly did. We'll get to the rooms here in a bit. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a light ratio and just a bit of control to kind of control the transients a little bit. The transient is the loudest part of the drum when you, when you hit it. Um, just to make sure that we can record a nice clean level. And uh, and also it helps too that the compressors are gorgeous and many of them have tubes in them that we can use to sweeten up the sound on its way in and it's very very common for us uh, in the professional realm to print compression uh, into ProZo. Not aggressive compression, but compression.
0: Um, uh I the
1: question. That was a good question.
0: Oh, uh, did you already say what you rolled off? Uh, you did on the overheads. Yeah, um, I already rolled uh, them off. Everything above 9K. Um,
1: in this case, yes. Um, and in, in other way? cases, that may be different. Yeah, it depends which symbol. It depends. depends. Right? It depends yeah. on what kit, it depends on what mic, it depends on whatever. In this case, I just pulled it down and I wasn't even, lo- I mean, you guys saw me. I wasn't like staring at the numbers when I was doing it, right? I was listening. To see, okay, how far am I going to take the filter? Okay, now it's a little bit too far, so let me back it back off. And then that's how I arrived there. And then I took a look at it, and it ended up at about 9K in this case. You know, it's true. I would say... More
0: often than not, I would just turn an equalizer, and you, you know by feel and you know by ear yeah. more than
1: you ever actually have to stand up and right. look at what you're doing. And, that, and, that, and that's not the way that, that we mix records. You know, right. We don't go, okay, this one's all right, 1.5K, boom, boom. Okay, that one's right, because that's what I read. <laughs> right,
0: I read right? It.
1: Like, it on <laughs> Gear Sluts. I read it on Gear Sluts, so 1.5K, boost, okay, that's done. Like It's uh, very much not that. You have to treat every record and everything, you know, specifically, Michael, with the macro approach of foundation first yep and then frame absolutely okay moving on moving on all right well, where are we vocal yes. uh so, so uh the vocal what do we have so we'll do the dynamics up first so the vocal i have um i'm gonna hit the left side of a gml the, the the massenberg eq that's 20 to 20 fully parametric um, so i'm gonna hit a very flexible eq um and then i gotta hit a black a vintage blackface 1176 and um, then we're going to come back... We're limiter c- compressor, which is the most common one on the planet. That or the other Most commonly desired. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Most commonly desired, and we just ha- happen to have a vintage one here. Um, and then we'll come back here to the desk. Now, after I do that, I'm going to have to go into the box in DS. Right after I dial that stuff in. So oh, I want to pull some of those S's translate out. Translate that. Uh, to me. pull some of the S's out of the performance. And when he says back in the go into the box, he means into electronically. Computer, with, electronically, with, yeah. right. And that's going to be happening before I hit all that nice outboard gear. Then when I get back to the console, Michael, after that outboard gear is done,
2: I'm going to add a little
1: bit more processing on the J, right, on the SSL J. So I'm going to add a little bit more compression. I might add a little bit of EQ. I might add a little bit more. Um, and, then, and then that's for the dynamic side of things. We'll get to the time base, the reverbs and the choruses and et cetera after we right. do that. Um, so why don't we get this this vocal going for us a little bit? So let's listen dry, I guess, for a second.
2: One more breath, I'm about to fall for keeps. You're there. You're the only one I want after all. Four keeps. One more breath, I'm about to fall. Four You're the only one I want after all. Four keeps. One more breath, I'm about to fall. Four keeps.
1: One of those frequencies, Michael, while I'm DSing and I'm going to pull it. There's something real kind of happening there. I'm sure everybody else can hear it. We'll zero that in and we'll see what's going on. there. You hear that? Huh? Take a listen. So, we don't want to make sure that we're making a thong about for keeps. Right? <laughs> no offense to anybody with a lisp, I'm just saying we need to remove that from the record.
2: For keeps, One more breath, I'm about to For keeps, you're the to this I bet once you aim you ain't gonna
1: too much I backed it off a little bit it was kind of taking out a little bit too much
2: I bet once you aim you ain't gonna miss your knuckles squeeze tight till the blood is turned white cross the line
1: so why don't we look at some um, some reverbs and uh, and some chorus and, and time? Did she
0: stuff. record this in a vocal booth? Was it dead? Did she use one of the little curvy things that goes? No, in front that of your was face? this
1: was done um, in a in a proper live room. It's about that size. Okay, yeah. So eight by eight, kind of. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Prepare.
1: Do let's do the plate. Why don't we do the plate? Absolutely. And we'll see how that's going. Um, what's your favorite? decay, your default decay time on a plate? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it to a point it depends on tempo, right? Yeah. But it also depends on how much space I want to put the how much space I want to put the piece of instrumentation on the vocal in, right? Do I want it really kind of swimming in something? Um, do I have enough space for it to be swimming in something? Is it an artistic choice to have it swimming in something or not? Um, to be honest, the plate right now, what's it set at? It's set at about well, 1.5. Okay. So I'll dial it up we'll listen to it. Right? And we'll kind of finesse it back and forth, and we'll see what we got.
2: Prepare, every scar has led to this. I bet, once you aim, you ain't gonna miss. Your knuckles squeeze tight till the blood.
1: For the record, I I was just messing with the low mid-EQ right there.
2: Prepare every sky.
1: It's a bit long. Listen to that, Michael. Listen. Yeah.
2: Prep.
0: Yeah, it's like three seconds. It's a bit
1: long. Let's back it down.
0: And that was at one and a half? Yeah. Wow. So he's physically moving the pickups on a straight. Prepare.
1: It might be a touch short, but we'll know really when we kind of start setting the level of it. Um, that feels better.
2: Prepare. Every scar has led to this. How bad? That nice.
1: Yeah, it's nice. Well, we add some chorus, right? Let's add some micro pitch shifts. I'll put it on there and I'll crank it up so that you guys can hear the effect of, of what I'm talking about. And then we'll back it down to a reasonable level. People are asking what your monitor level is at or what you normally work it's at. Is it that? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer. Like, I It's mean, about
0: that loud.
1: If you read a book, it'll tell you 80 to 85 dB for what, 10 hours is the most that you can tolerate or something like that. Um, I haven't really started setting levels yet. I'm really just kind of dialing in frequencies. I'll be doing a lot more of the level, level up and down as I'm setting levels, uh, but I'm just kind of getting sounds on what I have right now. And, and you know, I don't have it blasting. I'm Michael. i Michael, I also don't have a DB meter here, but it's, it's, it's loud, just, loud enough. it's loud enough, it's a comfortable <laughs> level. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying that to be informal or casual or flippant about anything. I'm just saying, like, put it to where it feels good.
2: Prepare. Every scar has led to this. I bet once you aim, you ain't gonna miss. Your knuckles squeezed tight till the blood is turned white.
1: Probably something more like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Let's mute that. Right. Why don't we look at the bass? Okay, bass is right next to it. And did you record the bass? uh... The bass is trillion. Oh, Mm -hmm. never mind. (laughs) Can't speak highly enough about that. That So I have the tube tech EQ, and wait, what do I have? The other tube tech. Yeah, I have the other tube tech EQ. I don't know. I just know if
0: I look away from the screen, it'll freeze. So I have to stay fixated on it. I'm ignoring it for that reason.
1: cleaned up in detail a little bit right but why don't we add a little bit of chorus to that and then we're certainly eventually going to need to check that against the kick and see how we're doing frequency wise uh, maybe even do some some side shading some ducking uh, when we get to that point of blending the levels and see how they're doing but it's really important to get a good sound on it first so how about touch a touch of course what have we done so far we have um, We've done some high and low pass filtering again to the point of, not to the point it's where we're marring the sound or changing the sound just kind of filter to kind of started started it on its way to get it out of the way of the kick because we're gonna have the kick drive the low end of this record high frequency is just anything that we're not hearing we're kind of getting rid of um, and then we cut about 100 Hertz and then we then we gave it some compression that's where we're at with it all right It was real fast attacks, with those, yes. we'll see. If those need more compression on it to kind of even those off a little bit, we will. For now, we're going to leave it there. Um, um, uh, can you play it straight again, A-B it? Yeah, Sure.
0: the one we were just listening to was in right
1: <laughs> yeah okay one more so out this is
2: flat
0: Gotta say sounds pretty good out of the box as well yeah i mean was- all things considered, that's mm-hmm. impressive. It is. We go back and check something on that vocal. I wanted to check real quick, please. All right. Question about the vocal. They wanted a recap on how you clarified the vocal, but we're a little pressed for time, so I'm gonna say go back and watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a quick recap is, is, is okay. Using an EQ to um, to take off undesirable frequencies and to enhance frequencies as you sweep to make sure that it's something that you want to listen to. I don't know. Real quick, 10 seconds. That's probably my second do
2: prepare every scar has led to this I bet once you aim you ain't gonna make
1: so why don't we speed it up a little bit i'll put this vocal down on top of the drums that we already have in the bass mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll put some other things on top of it so now what i'll do is we'll get our loop going for our hook and we will set the levels relative to each other and the stereo bus. So we don't want to be crushing the stereo bus, right? The sum of everything. Nor do we want it too, too light and too, too thin. So let's do it. Going to dim, I'm going to set levels with the speakers dimmed. Okay. And then we'll open it back up, we'll see how it
2: goes. I'm, only getting
1: the right. um, I'm doing this because lowering the volume of the speakers during the level setting process um, provides you with a little bit more insight as to how it sounds at different Volume levels. Right? Um, so what? Just my personal preference is to again drop it down really low after I've kind of carved out the frequencies at normal volume to set the levels, and then to open it back up and see how they're sitting. Really for translation purposes. Translation means wherever I'm listening to the mix, be it in earbuds or you know in the car or in a home system or whatever, uh, then it'll sound as good as possible. It's never going to sound the same from all those sources, but you want it to sound good in all those sources. Uh, when you go.
0: When you do this, when you listen and rebuild it in the dim mode, um, do you leave things set? The faders where they were? No, I'm moving, dim- all, moving uh, all the faders right now. So, do you do you start with them at the bottom and bring them back up for the relational? I just cut them. Cut right. Okay. So all I right. just
1: I just was uncutting them as the, as they were. Right. Right. Just okay. uncutting them and, and starting to adjust them in according to right uh, to musicality. Okay. So I've set those kind of relative to where they were at. And I know we can't see the uh, the meters in Pro Tools here. Um, I was kind of looking at the stereo bus meters here on the desk. But if I were to look at these meters.
2: Consistent, I have
1: a consistent level here into the light green. Alright, it's about it's about where we are here. best How way does it I can sound it.
0: on on the viewers? And um, I'm pushing my input levels to Ustream, about as far as I can push them. Just want to make sure, it it's not clipping on your end, guys. Good. Uh, it'll take a few seconds to get
1: it. A... So, while, while we're waiting for that, I will. Uh, maybe we'll put the piano in, right? Okay. We'll put the piano in on top of that. Um, see, on the piano. We have those DBX-165A compressors. Love those. So why don't we get those going first?
0: Most underrated compressor on the planet, I think. For certain stuff. Hmm.
1: With me Q here too. will make sure we get that going. we do the Bercasti real quick especially since we're running out of time this is the Italian reverb. <laughs> so, sounds like a Ferrari why don't we look up well we got a haul here But about a small haul let's give a small haul a whirl and we'll see what we do it sounds very good. And that kind of brings up an important point, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, three different kinds of reverb is the most that I will really kind of use on a mix. Now, I basically have a, I have a short reverb now that I've established for the snare. Remember, we have that, that room, yes. right? I have the plate for the vocal. And now I have this hall established that I like the sound of. Um, And then anything else I'm going to add reverb to, is going to be either one of those three things, right? And even three different kinds of reverb is a lot of kinds of reverb. That's not to say three different tracks, remember. That's to say three different kinds of reverb. Um, I was always a fan of less
0: types of reverb is better when absolutely. I, it's absolutely I, true. I hated guys that spend an afternoon setting up seven or eight or nine different it's reverbs. too much. The, the listener yeah. doesn't have a sense
1: of space. Right.
0: It just all swims in the end. All mm-hmm. they're doing is, is billing by the hour and jerking
1: people off the <laughs> room. I mean, it drove me crazy. You're right.
0: Three is like, right. you got That's it. all
1: I need. Now I have a, I have a short, I have a, a kind of a medium plate sound, I got kind of a medium hall sound, and that's going to do me for, for the rest of the mix. Yep. That's going to be no problem. Let so let's I put know. the piano in. Okay. I kind of want a little bit more low mid in the piano. It's a little thin for me, so I'm going to put some more in. So that landed at about 200 Hz, I tightened the bandwidth, right, for those of you that are not understand EQ, I tightened the bandwidth a little bit more into that 200 Hz. And I boosted it, just a touch, um, how much? I don't know, no more than 3 dB. Because You know, SSLs have circles that are a general guide of 3 dB, but uh, about that, it's a little thicker. So now we'll try that in the mix. Michael, if we hustle, can we get to the acoustic guitars? Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, we can go five or
0: ten minutes long. There's not okay. a federal law that prevents us All from right. going well, on. you know,
1: I like to hit deadlines. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> he, he
0: is, I don't know. We see eye-to-eye in a lot of sure. stuff, but that's one of my favorite things mm-hmm. about him. Is If he says, I'll be there at 2.30 and set up, he will be there at 2.30 and set up. He's a professional. Thank you so much. Also, I want to mention that uh, Al Machera from Westlake Studios just went to get a t-shirt. We're going to give away. <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> I said to him, hey, Al, got any t-shirts that we can give away? And yes, he came back with a shirt. T-shirts. Thank you, Al.
1: Okay. Oh, maybe keep... one's for you. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so some lucky viewer is going to win this baby. you got to understand. The only people that have these are people that record in this world-class facility. This place has been around for how many years? Forty. Forty years of excellence. So, yeah, by the end of the show,
1: we will give this away. Thanks, Al. How are we going to give it away? Is it going to be a question? Uh, Yeah,
0: we'll go up and down the chat room. I'll just run my finger up and down and shut my eyes and somebody will get one. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Guitar, uh, right? Let's shape the guitar. Probably breaking some contest law by doing it that way, True, this is California.
1: Yes. Uh, What do we have for the guitars? Mm -hmm. The tube tech compressor. Great. So, let's get it played back. And acoustic guitars. So this was a, um, jeez. What was this? I think I have the notes on that Yep. So, for this acoustic guitar, it's doubled, right? Um, And the acoustic guitar had a U47 on the body. And, uh, uh, what did I have? A KM84 on the neck. Right. Okay. So that's a Neumann U forty seven tube microphone on the body, and a Neumann small diaphragm K eighty four on the neck. Most of you don't have cars that cost as much as that tube. <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention the pre that it goes through. When we press yeah. Through. What seven. did you put it through? Uh, gee, I, you know, what? I can't remember, me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever it was, it cost a lot. Of money. All right. Here we go. So let's listen to this. Okay. The the first hook, listen to the first hook, and then, you know, the drums come in, and then the guitars come in, and then the bass and all that stuff. And let's just make sure that it's impactful. Um, Because, you know, we haven't heard the pre-chorus, the B section here yet. Um, But because we, we blended the levels, during an area where the stereo bus is loud, then that should translate down to the areas where it's not. Even though we haven't heard this part of the That's song. That's great yet. advice. Yeah. Give a little 30 second explanation of that. That's just... Yeah. Well, as we were saying before, you know, you want to take the fundamental instrumentation, but you want to blend it in the loud area of the stereo bus, like a hook. So like now when we go and we listen to the B section or the pre-chorus, um, the, it will still be at least in the neighborhood, if not where you want it to be exactly, and then will enter into the, into, the, into the second verse when the drums come in and etc and the dynamic range will be present in the mix once again it's just kind of maintaining a musical perspective when you're approaching these kinds of things and rather than zooming in zooming out first great and understanding advice. what you want to accomplish.
0: You guys when you go back and watch the replay of the show listen to that like five times because that's <laughs> so critical. Well,
1: let's give it a spin yeah So here's the here's the B section B section hook and then second verse where everything comes in. This
2: could be our biggest score um, Squeeze tight till the blood is turned white. Under cover of night, every wrong feels right. For keeps one more breath, I'm about to fall.
1: So what I'll do with that, Michael, since we only have about two minutes here, uh, at least for the explanation time. So what I'll do is, if I were to consider that final, my foundation, that's exactly what I want from my foundation, I would leave that intact and in constant. And then as I started adding other elements around it, putting the strings on top of it, etc., I'm not going back there and changing the level of the kick and changing the level of the snare and changing the level of the vocal. That stuff gets blended around the foundation as, as it exists, right? Of course, and, and that's a mixing style. That's not something that that's, everybody. That's an approach. Right, right. That's an the, approach.
0: The, not everybody works mm-hmm. that way. I agree with with that mm-hmm. methodology, but some people will get in there after they've laid the foundation. Go screw with it! And it's like why? I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like why did you spend hours getting the foundation together I, and
1: then, yeah. yeah. So then we'll finesse effects, and we'll we'll put extra things in there, and of course, eventually you'll get to the automation process. Um, and then, yeah, that'll be that, and you kind of drive it home. Do you automate by section, or do you automate? Do you do a, a live pass, top to bottom, and then go back in? The I state? don't really do top to bottom. I'll kind of zoom into each part of the arrangement. Like, if I know the second verse needs attention here, here, and here, I'll go there. Then maybe I'll jump to the first B section. And then maybe I'll jump to the to the break or the bridge or the down. I kind of break it down by parts of the arrangement and detail the record as I move. Um, so let's say that you're mixing a record.
0: But you engineered it, you mixed it, you didn't produce it. Okay. And now you are hearing um, instruments and and things that they're doing that you think make it really hard to mix. And as the mixer, you want to pull them out. You don't want the harpsichord, you know. (laughs) Well,
1: unfortunately, that's not what you were hired to do.
0: But would you ever lean over the producer and
1: say, really? No.
0: Okay. Okay. I I may
1: communicate to him that a certain piece of instrumentation may be challenging. But right. I would never suggest if I did not produce the record and I'm not being paid to be creative. Never would I suggest. Never would I suggest that they should remove instrumentation from their piece of creativity. So I, I would ask never. the
0: question. I wouldn't suggest that they do it, but I would ask the question. and say, "Do you hear a train wreck?
1: Listen to this. When I pull that out, I would, not, the way that I would go about it. Let's say this piece. Let's say this is a harpsichord right, in this song. Right? Our favorite instrument, and we have a mixed in. Um, and during conversation with the, with the producer, if I'm not making those decisions again, I may to say something like, you know, I have the harpsichord sitting pretty much the best that I can have it. I, do, I still do feel like it's kind of fighting with the vocal and the rest of the mid-range instrumentation. Do you hear that? And I'll play it for him right. or her and have them take a listen. Um, that's very much so the way that I would go about something like that. I would never say, hey, man, gotta go. no, it's got to go. I'm being not being paid a, to make those decisions. It's like being a shrink. You have to lead them to their own best conclusion. Sure. If that <laughs> is, in fact, the best conclusion <laughs> for, for the song, then yes. Now, if I'm if I'm being paid on the creative end, that's a different story. Right. So now let's talk about you've got the mix. So
0: remember, early, very early in the show, I talked about the foundation and then the glossy, sexy. Ooh, that the biggest frustration people with home studios have is that their stuff to them never sounds like what's on radio or or other people's finished product. My theory is that your own stuff never sounds like that to you. I I go back and listen to stuff because we know all the nuance. We know what everything sounded like individually and uh, I'll be walking through a grocery store and hear a record that I worked on then hear something else right after it go, shit, my record doesn't sound as good as the other one after Mm -hmm. it what do you do to add the gloss at the end before it goes to master well
1: we've already seen a little bit of it right we've already seen a little bit of it in the detailing frequencies mm-hmm. um, as things start blending um, again having analog summing plays a huge role i think somebody mentioned that a summing mixer right that's going to play a huge role um adding clarity uh with with the eq plays a huge role um after you get the entire mix working uh, making sure that you're using automation, right, and automating things up and down will give a more emotional response to the song, which may be interpreted as glossy. Um, and, and just making sure that we have our limiter going, too. We have our limiter going the entire time. I really wasn't hitting any gain reduction with the limiter, uh, but it was there for the purpose of just kind of gluing things together. Matter of fact, since I don't want that, let's listen with and then without the limiter and see what's doing for us. So I'll idea. even pull it up on the screen here. So we'll go with and then we'll go without. So that was in and then out and then in again. Yeah. Um, there was one moment during that passage that I nicked one dB of gain reduction. Okay. Right. So it's not like I'm pumping a bunch of limiting into it, but it is providing a lot of sense of glue and a little bit of loudness too, right? Um, not that we're really... And messi- safety. N- and safety. Because we're not necessarily concerned with the loudness of the mix during the mixing stage. It's more so mastering that we kind of address loudness. As long as the sonic texture is correct, then we're going to be okay. Mastering has
0: changed a lot in... Uh, I have read several articles about mastering in the last four to six months and I'm really amazed. I spent a lot of time hanging out with the mastering guys in, in, in the cutting room at Criteria and thought I understood more than most engineers because I spent so much time there. Yeah. I thought that would be a great place. You know, people say mastering engineers had some of the best years in the business so I thought it was a good investment of my time to hang out in there. Now it sounds like everything is so technical and almost less ear-oriented. Are there things that you have to do when you mix a record today that are more technical than aesthetic to prep a project for a mastering engineer? More technical than aesthetic? Yeah.
1: Well, what I can tell you is, from my experience with dealing with professional... I'm not a professional mastering engineer. I have mastered records. I'm not a professional mastering engineer. But in my time in dealing with the amazing mastering engineers that I have dealt with, you know what they're really concerned with is something called the RMS meter. Right. Right. That's ultimately what they care about. I know that you Tell guys. What RMS I'm going for to. Okay. I know that you guys read a lot of um, columns. Maybe you say, well, let's call it Gear Sluts since you were bagging on Gear Sluts earlier today. <laughs> no offense, Gear Sluts. Um, no, I intended to be offensive. I do not. <laughs> I do not. Um, let's say it's Gear Sluts and you jump on there or a taxi form. Right. 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 Let's say Which that. Which is the
0: best forum on the mm. planet. You
1: jump on the taxi forum <laughs> and, and you read something that says, you know, to, in order to submit to mastering, the level has to be at. Minus 3 dB on a peak meter, right? Well, what does that mean? That means that like the loudest points of the song, very briefly and very quickly, are hitting at a certain level. The mastering engineer is less concerned about that. The mastering engineer is more concerned about what's called an RMS level. And that's the average loudness of your song, just like math class back in whatever grade they're teaching that in now. Seventh, eighth, ninth, I don't know. Um, And that's the average level of loudness of your song. If the average level loudness of your song is very high, they don't have much room to do what they do. Right, um, But if there's a, a nice dynamic range to the song, I meaning the RMS meter is, is quite low, then they certainly have enough room to work, regardless of where that peak Do they prefer is. to get stuff with more
0: dynamic range just because it gives them more latitude to work? Yes, or, absolutely. Or... Okay.
1: Um, because it gives them a chance to because their remember craft, or because... well remember loudness comes at the expense of dynamic range yeah right so the more loudness the the louder that you want your stuff the less dynamic range is going to have so if you're going to trust the mastering engineer to provide you with the loudness for your song which a professional mastering engineer you should right? um, then just give them something that that has a dynamic range that you feel comfortable with um, but isn't all the way smashed up so it's like this because they're not going to be able to do very much to it. Not that loudness is the only thing that mastering does. I don't want anybody to, to walk away from what I'm saying thinking that, right? Um, they're also shaping things with the EQ. There's also multiband compression that they apply. Um, they're, certainly, they have their eye on loudness. There's much more to it than just that. The
2: mastering standard.
1: Right? Yeah. And, and people also, well, that's kind of a hot topic. I'm not sure if I want to get into that. <laughs> that's
0: um, a 20-minute topic. Yeah. That is a great topic.
1: So um, so that, that's kind of the overall gist, is making sure that the RMS, the average loudness um, of the stuff, is, is something that they can work with.
0: Um, I used to get permission in most cases people would let me go if it was a project that I recorded and mixed, people would let me go to the mastering session even though I wasn't the producer and it was always comforting to me because some mastering engineers want to remix the record with an equalizer uh, and I always hated that it's like once it's on vinyl it's out and it breaks your heart it's like why did I slave over that for four months only
1: to have some guy ruin it in an Mm eight-hour day.
0: Is that still the case where... Well, I
1: think that, first of all, I think the definition of ruining is a little subjective, right? It's very subjective. That (laughs) that being said, um, you know, kind of the number one rule of mastering is don't be a hero. You know, the, the... the object the, the objective is to enhance the creativity that was given to you mm-hmm. It's not really to make trot or at least try to make big significant creative changes it's to enhance what was given to you already and good professional master engineers understand that um, and that's kind of the the best route to go with
0: mastering software so readily available now and uh, people don't want to spend the money on mastering they will master at home and it's a double-edged sword in on one hand it's great that your stuff can sound mastered coming from your home studio without going. Uh, to the expense. On the other hand, uh, it's a craft sure. that is very difficult to learn. And I've found that friends of mine who were mixers that decided uh, they didn't want to work twenty hours a day in the studio, so they went over to the mastering side. They would confide in me later that it took them a solid year of eight to ten hours a day mm-hmm. before they could call themselves a legit mastering engineer.
1: Well, that's the thing, Michael. It takes more than a year and eight to ten hours a day to be able to do this. Yeah. Right? It's like anything else. Really? You didn't sign up for that thing? <laughs> in back of Boys Like Magazine <laughs> right? and learn it in a week? It's no different than anything <laughs> else, man. You know, I mean, it's no different than anything in our in our realm or a, I suppose in a bigger perspective life, right? Yeah. It takes practice, right? It takes trial. It takes error. Um, and one of the big reasons why Al and I opened this school was to kind of eliminate a lot of that trial and error. Mm -hmm. for individuals to kind of expedite their process. So you don't have to go through eight to ten hours a day of a year to be able to do whatever you want to do in the studio. It's really to kind of expedite the process and take the practices that have been done here for 40 years and put them over there to school. Uh, You guys watching the
0: show here, I should get on camera for this, but you guys watching the show know that I never, ever, ever plug anything unless I would buy it or I believe in it or I will attach my name to it. To give you an idea of how deeply I believe that this school is an amazing place to learn, largely because of the way Doug teaches. He, you know, well, you got a sample of it today. Um, And I've heard such great things about what he's done at the road rally. My next door neighbor has a son that's 18 19 20 years old and one night uh, neighbor I've known the kid since he was a toddler and my neighbor said uh, my son wants to be a record producer um, an audio engineer and then record producer can you meet with them so they came over and spent like three or four hours at my house and I said you know what you really need to go to Create Music Academy in Hollywood because I can't say that other schools you will walk out of there with a learned craft but I'm convinced that you can here uh, and that's largely because Thank you, of Doug. Um, and this is coming from somebody who I, I'm not a big fan of most teachers. I, I don't like academics. And that's, that's right, because
1: you know what? I'm a music man who teaches. Right.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: All right. You, you <laughs> get it, man. You, you
0: come at it from the approach that makes it sink in. You explain mm-hmm. the why, yeah. and once you understand the why then you can go find it on your own because you know what you're searching for. Mm-hmm. And that's what separates you from other people that talk about 2D, you know, plus 2 dB. Mm-hmm. It's like, eh, who cares? Turn it till it sounds pretty.
1: a <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> <Two> point, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to let you guys hit us with a couple of quick questions. Yeah. And we gotta do,
1: we got a T-shirt giveaway we yes, have to do as we do. well, don't we?
0: Yes, and um, what do you... Oh, by the way, just to underscore... Um, it's extremely rare that I will ever turn over the stage at the Road Rally to anybody, but I am turning <laughs> over the stage to Doug. Um, it's true. We're, we're doing a thing that I'll start out with him, but I'm largely turning over the stage name at the Road Rally this year. So don't forget the Road Rally, November 2nd through the 5th here in Los Angeles. Go to Taxi.com and click on our convention uh, to learn more about it. It's free for every member and a guest. And your questions for Mr. Doug Fenske are... Um, My dad was a workaholic. Nope, that's not a question for Doug. I could
1: identify with that.
0: <laughs> Perfectionism has ruined more of my projects. Okay, great job, Doug. Uh, do you ever use a live drum room sound versus gating and adding reverb?
1: I think it depends on the kind of room that you're in, right? I mean, if you have a facility like where these drums were recorded in Westlake Studio D down the hall, well, that's what I'm going to use. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, we didn't even get to the rooms. Um, I have three different, actually, one, two, three, four different room mics um, here that we didn't get a chance to hear. Should I play them real quick for two seconds? Sure. All right, so what I'll do is I have a Royal 121 mono overhead. We'll hear that. Then we'll hear a stereo room of B&K-4004s and omni, which means omni-directional. Then we'll hear a U87 crushed and squashed uh, that's way in the back. So I'll play those real quick back-to-back so we can take a listen. So here's the 121. the bnk 404s and omni and finally the u87 crushed compressed very hard so point being when you have access to that kind of facility yeah. No, I'm not adding and gating reverb and et cetera. Again, that's fortunate. I understand that I'm blessed and I'm spoiled, and trust me, that's not lost on me. Um, <laughs> but that's what I would use, have used for, for really the kind of room sound on a record like this. Um, as, no, if I exciting, man. Just hearing that <laughs> room mic was like, wow. If I don't, you know, that I am, I am finessing things and getting, getting reverb is kind of coming back into vogue a little bit, um, as it were, from the 80s and etc. Um, so maybe if I'm working on a different kind of record, then yeah, maybe I would be doing that. But it's really just about considering the source and holding things accurate to the source. Uh, let's give away a t-shirt,
0: if you would be so kind as to hold that up. Yeah, sure. I will give these guys the flying finger. Mm. Oh. The flying <laughs> finger. The flying finger of <laughs> luck, as it were. All right, you guys, uh, if you would love to have this T-shirt, Matt, uh, back at the taxi office, which is about 30 miles from here, will, uh, uh, you want to email matt at taxi.com after I pick you, so type in plus one, I will shut my eyes, I will give the flying finger to the list of you guys, and I will pick a winner.
2: The flying finger. (laughs)
1: Nest in their size. <laughs> yeah, size. We need size. All
0: right. Uh, Mark Doyle.
1: Congratulations, Mark. Mark,
0: yay. Yeah, baby. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mark, what size do you wear? If it's like a triple XL, you don't have to say that publicly. Uh, but no, you can go ahead and tell us. Man, there's a delay on this thing. People are still casting votes even <laughs> though they, even though they know he won. Okay, Mark, you need to contact Matt at taxi.com. Give him your address and your... Uh, oh, no, we need to know your size now. Yep, size. I can't walk out of here. Uh, sounds good to the medium. Okay, medium. What size is that this one? This is a large. That's a large. Mm-hmm. Take the large. They shrink. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh with that, uh, I want to say thank um Al Matera and Alex who's been doing our tech back Alex there. Alex Flores, thank long. you very much, Alex Flores. Yes, uh,
1: and of course Mr. Doug Fensky. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. get the flying finger yeah. and the iCarly applause. I can uh, tell you, um, I am very much. I mean, we're doing two drivers' ed classes uh, at the rally, but right. I am very much so looking forward to being in the ballroom with Michael. Um, basically, what we're going to do is we're going to address modernizing production. Um, you know, we've spoken at length about my strummy life, <laughs> oh. and, and we're going to we're going fi- to we're going to try our best to fix up my strummy life into and, and to leave that behind and get and kind of modernize your productions. He has already
0: spent hours. He has already spent hours. He and I have spoken probably for an hour on the phone. And Doug has been so gracious in working with me um, to solve the problem of people that are singer-songwriters that do a lot of 4-4 acoustic strummy stuff and hear stuff on the radio and they go, eh, I don't like the music today. I believe, personally, that it's because most people can't do it. So Doug is going to explain how to transition from being uh, living in that strummy lifestyle to making beat-driven modern contemporary records. So it's That's going right. to be exciting. And uh, as you can...
1: Custom for taxi, right? Yeah. It'll be the first, it, first, and only time we've ever done it. That's Cust- right. Customized for taxi.
0: And if it works, and they start teaching you to create, I get <laughs> for twenty percent.
1: Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Twenty-five <laughs> percent. it All on, right. why not?
0: <laughs> With that, uh, we bid you guys a fair, fond farewell see you next week I have no idea what I'm doing on the show oh actually I think I do it's Bobby Borg and Michael Ames next week on another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live bye you guys